ball in. Knocks it across by Faulkner. It's ball inside. It's in. The D have scored. An amazing winner that will be. Sprinting from the midfield. Georgian Nzati. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Up With The Bonnets podcast. Tonight we have a true Dundee legend as our guest. This man needs no introduction at all, but I'll give it my best regardless. With 433 appearances, he sits joint third with Barry Smith in the all-time appearance chart for Dundee. He also sits second in the all-time scoring chart with 154 goals, only better by Alan Gonzine's tally of 169. He won the League Cup in 1973 and two Scottish Caps as a player for the D. As Dundee manager, he won the First Division title in 1998. In the following season, he guided us to what is still our best finish in the top flight since the league title win inside of 1962. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you, Jockey Scott. Jockey, how are we doing? I'm good, thank you, Daniel. So, you were 15 year old and you made the move down to Chelsea and I believe you were on the ground staff. Uh... Talk us through how how a young lad from Aberdeen made that move down to London in the swinging 60s. Well, it was a situation where I I had been um, I'd been playing for Scotland schoolboys, and a lot of scouts obviously had turned up at at the games, and uh, I had a few clubs to choose from. Uh, to go and sign, uh, and I, I chose Chelsea uh, for the two reasons. One, um, Tommy Doherty was manager, and I thought another Scotsman, I might get a, a, a you know a, a better chance. And two, they had just been promoted to the first division, the old first division. And uh, I thought, well, we'll go down. I went down, had a look about, enjoyed what I saw, uh, and signed for them. Um, Unfortunately, uh, what I had signed up was not what I uh, had been told I was getting. Um, So... I was there for a year, uh, and then, unfortunately, one day when I was home uh, for close season, um, a letter arrived from Chelsea, and I'm thinking it's uh, a letter to tell me when to report back. Unfortunately, it was a letter to tell me they no longer wanted me down there. So I was... uh, Obviously heartbroken and then in limbo after that. So while you were in limbo, I take it this is around the time that the well, legendary Dundee manager, Bob Shankly, I take it he, he showed an interest in your signature. Well, I had, um, as I said earlier, I had a few uh, offers to go different places. Uh, the scout... Um, one of the scouts had been at me and uh, I had you know I never said no but I I, as I said I chose uh, Chelsea 
Um, then, uh, so the, the scout came back again and uh, invited me down to Dundee for pre-season training and uh, a possibility of playing in the um, a trial game. So I had nothing to lose, so I, I accepted it. And uh, I did the pre-season training. And then in their days, instead of the um, pre-season games that you get now, uh, there was a what they called a public trial. So it was um, we had three half-hour periods uh, to play. And, you know, it obviously depended on how well you did in that as to whether um, you would be asked to sign or not. And I was fortunate that I was asked to sign and signed the next day. And, uh, well, and then I, I, I enjoyed a career with Dundee after that. Well, I've done my research and I've got you signing for Dundee on the 5th of August, 1964. So you joined the Dundee team who a few years beforehand were champions of Scotland. The season after being champions, they reached the semi-finals of the European Cup. And the season before you joined, they just reached the Scottish Cup final. So you were joining a club. So you were joining a club that had players such as Andy Penman, Bobby Cox, Alan Cousin, and even for a short while, Alan Gilzine before he made his move to Tottenham. So what was it like signing for Dundee with all these players who were household names? Well, obviously, uh, we've been a uh, born and bred Aberdeen boy. Uh, I, of the Scottish teams, I was more interested in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to go and watch Aberdeen play and uh, my dad used to take me and uh, and I, I was more familiar with uh, the Aberdeen players' uh, names rather than the Dundee ones. Um, but having, as I said, I... I'd already trained with it, with everyone, the the first team players, the reserve players, um, the trialists, the other trialists as well. I'd already trained with them for two or three, four weeks um, before that public trial came along. So, uh, you know, I then obviously got to know who was who and what they did and how good a players, you know, each of them was. And uh, it was it was great, and I, I I mean I was very very fortunate that uh, two weeks after uh, I think it was two weeks after I signed um, I made a debut at uh, Dens Park with the first team, and then you know I got a few games after that, and uh, and that started me off. Yeah, uh, I've got you done here. Just it was just two to three weeks after you signed, and I think the Dundee were already out the the League Cup. It was the, the old group stages, and Shankly yeah. looked like he used because he made uh, gave yourself debut. John Phillips and Alc Totten ran out that night, and it was a six 0 victory for Dundee. Um, yeah. But what was your what was your feelings when you got told you were going to be making? Even though the like the the League Cup was kind of done for Dundee that season, but to be told 
few weeks after signing, after the disappointment of Chelsea as well, that you were going to be going out and making your first team debut for Dundee. How did that feel? Well, obviously it was uh, it was great, and um, I mean nerve wracking. Uh, you know, it was an opportunity to show, um, you know, whatever talent I had, uh, and but at the same time, uh, it came that early that uh, you know it took me by surprise, um, and you know I was just. I was fortunate in the respect that um, I had a good game. So that obviously impressed uh, Bob Shankly, who wasn't always uh, impressed with what was going on <laughs> on the pitch. Uh, so it was great. It was great to play. It was a, you know, a, a great result and performance by the team. And as you said, there was, uh, I think it was six of us all together uh, made a debut. And, um, you know, for as I said, for me, it was, uh, I was fortunate that I was able to go on and make a career with Dundee after that. Well, you've done enough to keep yourself in the team. Though the next game against Falkirk, you played another one. And you then made, it would have been your league debut for Dundee against your team Aberdeen, which Dundee also won. Uh, but the next one after that was a big one. It was the Dundee derby. But not only did you get the nod to play in that, you also scored two goals in a 4-1 victory at, at Tannadice. So it's hard enough to imagine scoring your first senior goals, but to do so against would be your city rivals now on and on their patch and in a dominant way. That must have been a special feeling. Oh, it was um, it was tremendous, and I mean Dundee and Dundee at that time had uh, a very good team, and some of the players uh, were obviously better than others, but the um, the ability in the team was was different class. Uh, the attitude of the team um, was very, very good. And we had a manager who uh, wasn't uh, happy if you weren't doing the right things and weren't doing them well. And so all, you know, all that considered, uh, the game at, at Tannadice, um, you know, the, the way I looked at it, uh, I'd been given another opportunity uh, when the, the manager put me in against Motherwell. And then, as you said, I got another two or three games. And each game I played, I tried to grasp it with both hands and try to do the best I could to just to keep the thing going and keep impressing the manager. Um, but that day it uh, at Tannadice uh, was different and different from the point of view of uh, the size of the crowd. I mean, there was 25,000 there that day. Uh, the occasion, because it's, as you said, your, your uh, next door rivals, um, you know, 
everything was fantastic. And the result, and also, you know, being able to get on the, the score sheet, that was my first goals for Dundee. Uh, you know, was it a wee bit sweeter that, that because it was the, the derby? And that kicked me off with derby games because I, I thoroughly enjoyed derby games after that and I thoroughly enjoyed scoring against United. And you, you enjoy scoring goals all the time for Dundee. It makes you the, makes you the second oh, well. most goal scorer for us. Um, but despite yeah, that, that start, like, what would you say, kind of explosive start to your Dundee career, um, I think you made only one more appearance and then you kind of dropped out the first team scene and then you would then come back to play like the majority of the games near the end of the season. Was yeah. this maybe Shankly just not happy we? We stuff and chopping and changing, or was there a reason given after, like scoring uh, uh, like goals and and uh, doing so well at the start? Was there a reason why you kind of petered out the team a bit? No, I mean uh, the the manager took me in and, and explained things, and uh, I mean it, it turned out he he was right in what he did, and I you know like later in. After my career and I went into management, uh, I understood exactly where he was coming from when I had to do it with, with young kids uh, coming in. Um, when when you go and make your debut, uh, I mean, you're, you're high as a kite. You're up there, you know, they're trying to drag you down through the ceiling and stuff like that to, to get, you know, get you going. Uh, but there comes a time when that sort of levels off and your performances, which at that time my performances were decent to be able to remain in the first team, uh, started to go down the way, uh, which is, is an automatic thing with youngsters. And the manager recognised that and pulled me out and and I, I mean, he was the first one to do it. And then Bobby Ansel, when he came in afterwards, he did the same thing. And I mean, it wasn't until, uh, you you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't until, uh, I think, 60, 67 or 68, before I was more or less a, a regular yeah, I've got uh, 67, 60, 60, well, 66, 67, 67, 68 is when you started making more appearances. Uh, right. 1965, 66, you only made five. Um, and 67, 68 is when, yeah, you really started to see you come into the team more. Um, sure. That uh, sets me up for my, my next question, actually, saying that. so. Okay. Obviously, 67, 60, uh, 66, 67, obviously, Bobby Ansel's in charge. And you did seem to like nail down your place in the team. You, you, 26 games in total and scored 13 goals that season. Um, like you just said there, but kind of, it, it just seems to be like you were biding your time and working hard and showing a manager what you were capable of doing. And to get, you showed Bobby Ansel that and, and he never looked back, I guess. 
Well, it's. Uh, it, I mean, it was. Uh, I, at that time, uh, you're you're just young, and as I said, I've, I've I'd been released by Chelsea. I was thankful that I was getting another opportunity to um, to to at least attempt uh, to do what I'd I'd always wanted to do, which was play football. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dundee gave me that opportunity. So I wasn't going to go in the huff and, and you know complain about being left out of the team. It was a case of, right, you've shown them what you can do. Uh, you've got to keep doing that in the reserves to make the manager turn around one day and say, right, you're in. And hopefully you're in for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, I, I mean, I... I, I I got. I made a career out of Dundee, and uh, and I obviously was grateful to to Bob Shankly for for starting me off. Well, we're going to move on to the 67-68 season. I forget it might have been quite. I was I'm quite eventful for the club. There was a lot of good cup runs that season. Uh, League Cup final. There was the Inter Cities uh, Bears Cup uh, run as well. So. First off, you played, and I think you played in every game leading up to the League Cup final. But you were dropped, and not, and you weren't you weren't even in the substitutes bench. Was this did this come as a surprise to yourself? Uh, not really, no. I mean, it uh, it's a big, big occasion. Uh, the manager obviously picked the team that he thought uh, would win the game or do best in the game. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't in it. And I think, uh, I think I'm think i right in saying that in their days, there was only one sub. Mm-hmm. Would that yeah. be right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the one sub at that time. Uh, and so I I was 13th man sitting on the, the, in the stand watching the game. But it was great to be part of it. Uh, and it gave, you know, it gave me gave me an insight as to uh, what what you could experience uh, if you know if the club did well and the team did well. But it wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't get that opportunity again for uh, what would that have been? Nine years, eight uh, years, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> six years, of, yeah, six years. Go for six years. Um, I just realised that you never played in the, the semi-final. Um, I said that you played in every game, so just in case somebody tries to um, correct us on that. Um, but I mean, must have been some game to watch though. Uh, five three. I've, I've uploaded that onto um, uh, my, my archive YouTube channel, and. I still hear people speaking about it today. Even Celtic fans comment on it quite a bit, just about how good that final was. Yeah, it was a it was a good game, and uh, I mean, uh, throughout throughout my playing career at Dundee, um, the the first <clears throat> excuse me, the first part of my playing career at Dundee uh, before I, I moved on to Aberdeen. Uh, we had uh, a lot of good teams, obviously different teams throughout the years, 
but you know, in general, each team was a good team, had good players, played good football, and yeah, that final was um, you know it was exciting to watch, uh, but unfortunately, uh, Celtic uh, proved as they as they did a lot in their days that uh, they were the best team. Uh, in Scotland, and unfortunately, we had to get a runner-up medal. But that season as well, there was also I mentioned another another run, and this time in Europe. So the club had also went on a famous run to the European Cup final, uh, semi-final, um, not not that long ago, and. 67-68, It was uh, Dundee reached the semi-finals of the Intercities Fierce Cup. I can't, as a as a Dundee fan just now, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to see, uh, to see your team like inch closer to the final of a European tournament. But what was the city like at that time, uh, with with some of the obviously famous nights under the lights at Dens and the feeling that they could go all the way? What was the feeling with like the general public? Did did, did you? When you went in about in Dundee, well, the 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 what do you call it? the atmosphere in these games were, was was something different, totally different to uh, an, 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 a normal uh, Saturday um, league match. Uh, you know, there's just something about playing at night time under the floodlights uh, and. You know, if you're playing against good European opposition, uh, the crowd are there and the crowd are behind you, and uh, you know that that kind of thing. And funnily enough, it, it's it's a different crowd. It's, it might be the same people that turn up on the Saturday, that turn up in the European tie, but it's a different attitude uh, within the crowd uh, on a Saturday. If you're not doing too well, they're uh, you know they're liable to give you stick. <laughs> Whereas the European tie, if you weren't doing well, they got right behind you and helped you and lifted you and you know totally totally different. Um, so no, it was it was great uh, to experience all these things. I mean, we came across. Uh, teams uh, Zurich, um, uh, DWS, Amsterdam, and uh, obviously we came across uh, Leeds United in the semi final. So, I mean, you played in a few of them games, but to come up against like Don Revy's Leeds United team, uh, you don't, you never played in the first leg at Dens, but you got the nod in the second leg at Ellen Road. What was that game like? Because I've always imagined Ellen Road as quite a intimidating stadium, with how big it is and kind of the, how close it is to the pitch. And obviously, um, Don Revy is a, a well-known manager and very successful at Leeds at the time. Um, but what, what was that? What was the whole experience like going down to one of the top teams in England to play them? Well, it was. Uh, I mean, it was great and. Uh... <clears throat> I mean, I mentioned earlier, I had a few clubs that wanted my signature and Leeds United were one of them. Um, and my, my mate at that time from, well, from the schoolboys, 
uh, was Eddie Gray. Uh, we played together in the, the schoolboy team. So Eddie was already fixed up at, at uh, Elland Road uh, before the, the international season finished, schoolboy season finished. Uh, so he was uh, nipping my ear to come and join him at uh, Leeds United at that time. Uh, obviously, I didn't do it. Um, so it was it was good to to get meeting up with him again and uh, and as you said I, I didn't play the first game but I played the second game and it was good to play you know match up against them rather than playing with them um, but that that team were um, a really really good hard experienced team uh, that let you away with nothing I mean. Uh, if they needed to be dirty, they were dirty. Um, they, did, they didn't make any bones about it. Uh, and you only have to go onto YouTube and, and go back to and watch Leeds United, you know, back in the, that day or these days and uh, just to see how, how, I mean, they were a good side in terms of football, but they could also do the, the, uh, the rough and tumble stuff as well. That was, I have watched a few of the stuff back on YouTube and I've, it's amazing to see. I think there's one was a charity shield game with Leeds and the other team, uh, the name disappears from my head, but it was, uh, it was just like fist fights on the pitch. And I always, oh, yeah. Feel, yeah, I always remember thinking, well, that's the reason why they're called Dirty Leeds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, I mean, we had other European nights as well and there was, there was, Two that I would like to speak about, but uh, 1971, 72, we're back in the UEFA Cup, um, we beat Copenhagen, but there was a game, we played Cologne again, and we were beaten in the first leg 2-1 across there, and the return leg at Dens is always one that people speak about this day, and people old enough always describe it as maybe one of the best games they've ever been at Dens, and one of the best atmospheres, and you probably you remember it yourself, but we needed to win. And it was coming up for two all with minutes to go. And then Dundee managed to score two goals um, in the last five, six minutes to send the team through. And like I say, Dundee fans, even now, just speak about like the, the, the atmosphere, the crowd, the way the team fought back to send the club through to the next round. But uh, what's your memories of, of that game? Well, uh, obviously going into the end of the game at Dens, uh, we knew we knew what we had to do. Um, we were behind in the game uh, overall, so we had to take the game to them as often as we could and um, and try and score more goals. Uh, but you're right, the atmosphere, and that's, you know, like I said a minute ago, the atmosphere, the fans, the way they got behind us, because, you know, uh, Cologne scored at Dundee as well, and we end up, uh, you know, sort of battling away. And for a long time, we were, uh, we were behind in aggregate, uh, but the fans stick, stuck behind us because they saw that uh, we were trying uh, the, the best we could. 
and uh, and it was a, a you know like a fairy tale at the end when uh, when we scored two goals uh, late on to to overcome them, and uh, I mean the Cologne players just could not believe that they had lost the game and uh, that they were out and we were through into the next round. Yeah, even more signal because it was a eight to ninth minute goal from Bobby Wilson. I can just imagine how any team would feel if they lost a tie in that way, but I can only imagine what it felt like in the dressing room after that game by winning the tie oh, in that, that type of way. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, games like that where, uh, you know, you're playing against uh, opposition who have got three or four top uh, German international players playing. And, you know, for us to go and and, uh, and beat them. And, I mean, uh, deservedly beat them. Uh, then, uh, you know, it, it, it's a really, really good feeling. So, the reward for winning that tie was a trip against old foes AC Milan, Horsley AC Milan beat Dundee to get to the European Cup final and this is us paired with them again. Unfortunately, the first leg never went to plan and Milan won 3-0. But again, it was it, it must have been some experience to travel to a place, a, a top European, a top world team to be honest and play in their own uh, stadium, uh, the, the, the San Siro. So what, what was that like as a player? I must be on the top of a lot of players' lists of, to play in stadiums like this. But, uh, I mean, it, it's always good to play uh, against European opposition, uh, especially top European. And AC Milan were top European opposition at that time. And you're right, we didn't get off to the best of starts. Uh, we finished the game 3-0 down uh, and, you know, by all, me by, by all means, everyone's saying, oh, that's it, Dundee are out, Dundee are out, uh, no chance of pulling back three goals. Uh, and, I mean, I, I think even the most hardened Dundee supporter uh, that night in the return game uh, was pleasantly surprised by the performance of our team that night. And we gave them a real good going over uh, because they, they hardly kicked the ball that night at Dens and we beat them 2-0. And, you know, we had other opportunities, but unfortunately... Uh, it was not to be, but that was one of one of my, uh, uh, not my best performance, but one of the best performances that I've been involved in as a, a team uh, at Dundee in any games, whether it be the uh, domestic or whether it be Euro European. Um, you know, as I said, to be down and out and then come back to almost almost grabbing a, an extra time and that kind of thing then it was um it was a good night for for dundee 
I mean, even like thinking about Dundee defeating AC Milan at Dens is so a lot of people would probably believe you, but the fact that Dundee have played AC Milan twice at Dens and they've got hundred percent record, um, it's just a pity the their away record isn't the same. But um, it's reading back on games like this is it's always great as a Dundee fan, and yeah, even the the news. You look back at newspaper clippings and when I'm sorting them out for, for the, the, the archive website, it's even seeing pictures for the crowds and it's it's absolutely amazing to see. And that is like you mentioned before, the, the public just turned out for European games for Dundee. And that's one of the, the main things that you read from the reporters and interviews is that Dundee fans just from the get-go right to the end just got behind the team. But we'll move on because also your time at, at Dundee earned you to Scottish Cups. Um, so all your hard work, all your uh, great performances earned you a call-up. And your first cap was a 15 minutes um, appearance in your qualifier. It was a 1-0 defeat over at Denmark. And your second cap, you played the whole 90 minutes, uh, again, away from home against USSR. And, but unfortunately, it was another uh, defeat. But what did it, what did it mean as a, as a player to actually receive a call-up to the Scottish national squad? Well, obviously, that, <clears throat> um, you know, when you, when you start a career in football, uh, the ultimate aim is that you want to play for your country. And uh, I was fortunate. I was lucky in the respect that um, that first game you mentioned, Denmark and Copenhagen, was um, a European championship game. But Scotland were out. They couldn't qualify. So... Uh, they had that game and then they threw the, the Russian game in as a, a, a friendly game. And a lot of the players, uh, the, the older, more experienced players, uh, they didn't go uh, for whatever reason. So Bobby Brown, who was manager at the time, uh, brought in uh, a few players that, like myself, that hadn't been tried out, uh, or boys that maybe played one or two games and been left out again, and that kind of thing. Um, so it was one of them that I I knew that I was only there because some of the guys didn't turn up uh, or didn't want to turn up. And uh, that was brought in as a replacement. Uh, and I, I went into it um, hoping I would get some playing time and that it would maybe catapult me into uh, more international games. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't to be. Uh, I played against Russia. Um, I thought I did well against Russia. Uh, but unfortunately, Bobby Brown, that was his last game. And the next manager was my first manager who 
I'd already taken a total dislike to. So, <laughs> uh, and he had obviously took a total dislike to me because that was my last, uh, my last game for Scotland. That's a shame that it's worked out like that. Um, but in the seventies, we mentioned um, obviously Celtic were a really good side in the seventies, and Dundee had a habit of meeting them in semi-finals. I think I counted four or five Scottish Cup semi-finals around your time that Dundee got paired up with against Celtic. Or maybe, um, but I mean they were a world-class side, but. Every time Dundee made it so far to get into the final of a major tournament, there must have been a groan from the Dens Park dressing room every time it was seen that it was Celtic you were coming up against. Well, it, 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 it's psychological. Uh, you know, the, as you say, we played that many semi-finals against Celtic. Uh, unfortunately, we lost them all. Um, some after extra time, some after a replay, uh, but we lost them. And it's it's one of them that you go into these games, uh, the more that that happens, you go into these games, maybe uh, unconsciously uh, you're thinking, we'll know when. You don't play that way, but, you know, it may be at the back of your mind that's, oh, here we go again, Celtic. That's us. That's as far as we get. Um, but I always I always thought that uh, semi-finals uh, are the hardest game to play in because you're... You are within touching distance of a cup final, um, and you know it's one of them. If you don't get there, it's great, great disappointment. And so that's that happened to us all the time with the Celtic thing. Uh, but then, you know, when when we did happen to to get to a final, and again it was Celtic. It was a different story because we had a different mentality. Uh, because yeah, Celtic are a better side, but it's a one-off game. We've nothing to lose. Let's go and have a go at them, and we did, and and we ended up winning a cup. Yeah, you speak about that that thing, like the psychological thing or something. Like if you're in the semi-final and. When we got Celtic in the in the League Cup final in 1973, I think they'd went three, four seasons of reaching that final and getting beat. So there was maybe that thing that played on their head of another final and ended up in another defeat. Um, but, I, I mean, it must have been fantastic. It was your first major honour for Dundee. Uh, first trophy Dundee have won uh, in just over 12, 11 years. Even though it was a great moment, it must have been quite surreal because the, the turnout was low because I believe there was a, a minor's strike. Yeah, there was a minor strike and the, the uh, and floodlights and lights were uh, 
you know, were, were not supposed to be used and what have you. And we kicked off at one o'clock. Uh, and it was a, a miserable day. So the game, there was a, a doubt as to whether the game was going to go ahead or not. And I, I think that had a lot to do with the, uh, with the number of people that turned up at Hamden that day. Because Dundee people didn't want to travel all the way through to Glasgow and find out the game was off. Mm-hmm. So they were waiting and waiting and waiting to see is the game on, is it off, is it on, is it off. We were through in Glasgow and, you know, an hour before kickoff, we still didn't know if the game was on or not. Uh, but eventually the game got put on and, um, you know, we we went out. I think it, I think there was only 28,000 there, something like that. And uh, we, to be honest, we... We weren't worried about how big or how small a crowd it was. We just wanted to, you know, to do our best and and uh, we believed that we could do something and we did. So you speak about, like, obviously a lot of fans waited to see if the game was on. Um, I know stories about uh, supporters buses going and please stopping them halfway there, saying the game's not on, and and people um, getting sent back to Dundee only for it to be on. So uh, obviously uh, gotten for them, but the the players, uh, the fans, as the players made their way back to Dundee, the I take it the, there was a lot of fans waiting on your arrival to cheer you back. Yeah, we came back and uh, we the club had organised. Uh, Regardless of whether we won or, or lost, they'd organised a, um, a reception at uh, the old Angus Hotel, which was down at uh, the Nethergate. And um, when we arrived there, there, there was a number of fans waiting outside the hotel for us, uh, which was very nice gesture. Also, there was always a story that I wondered if it was true, um, that after winning the Cup and being at Angus Hotel, that uh, some players went to Jim McLean's house to celebrate because they always seen him as a big influence uh, on the team and maybe one of the reasons um, the, the team had won the Cup. Was, was that true? Read my book and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Jockey's Jim Dundee? We Jim had been a player at Dundee and I played with We Jim and then he went away to Kilmarnock and then John Prentice took over as manager and, uh, and brought We Jim back in as assistant manager and um, at the time I was, uh, when I heard that, I must admit, I was uh, kind of, oh, he was a morning face so-and-so on the pitch. What's he going to be like as a coach? Uh, and it didn't take long. It didn't take long for him to assert his authority uh, on the training pitch uh, during matches uh, assert his, his um, 
his, what do you call it, the, his knowledge of the game uh, and a certain tactical awareness uh, to the players. And also uh, our fitness had never been better uh, than when we worked under Jim. And it was it, it was one of the, the players, George Stewart, uh, were sitting in the Angus Hotel, were sitting having a drink, and George Stewart um, piped up, uh, ah, we Jim should be here, uh, but you can't, because he's the manager across the road. So if he's not here, let's us go and see him. So that's what we did. Uh, half a dozen of us, along with the wives, uh, we phoned them up and told them we were coming down and to make sure there was drink there for us. And uh, because, as everybody knows, we Jim, you know, supposed to be, and I say supposed to be, uh, <laughs> teetotal. Uh, so anyway, we did that. We jumped in a couple of taxis, turned up at his house, and uh, he didn't know what to say. And we just told him, uh, we're here because uh, we feel that you were the start of us um, being better players than what we were before you arrived. So it was just a thank you, nothing else. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't go down well with uh, the management at that time. And about 18 months later, the whole six of us were gone. Does that be uh, a little bit of a payback from, was it DV White? For, for doing this, um, one 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 story that I, I quite liked, and it was a it was a Jim McLean interview, and it was in a Dundee program around ninety five, um, I think, and it was quite weird to see him getting interviewed for a Dundee program at this time. He was still uh, obviously, uh, I think he was United Chairman, but he was asked what his best time as a manager was, and his reply was when he was coaching uh, Dundee because. He was just coaching, and I think it was because he first started off. I think he, as a manager, you've got different responsibilities, but as a coach, he was able to implement everything, the knowledge that he had, and and it probably meant a lot to him that he actually did go and visit him because, like I say in that interview, he always he, he said that that, and it's quite weird that everything he achieved with United, but that's the best time he had coaching wise uh, through his, throughout his career. Oh well, he, he, I mean, he he had a. He had a lot of good players, a very good team uh, that he blended or helped to blend into a, a right good side uh, with the fitness that he got into us. Um, and at that time, we were a better team than Dundee United. Uh, and we felt that, uh, you know, when, when John Prentice left, we felt that if 
we jammed stayed that we would have done what United did. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be, and we Jim moved across the road. Uh, and well, the rest is obviously history. So you mentioned within 18 months, um, all six players that went to Jim's house and were gone. So done the maths again. So it was 11 years and 18 days after signing for Dundee. You were off to Aberdeen. Um, I did have here, was it a tough choice, but it was, uh, or a new challenge, but it was, uh, I take it it was more forced upon you to go to Aberdeen. Well, it was, I mean, it, it was an opportunity uh, because you, as a player, you know when you're wanted and you know when you're not wanted. Uh, so it was one of them, these things that, uh, I knew my days were numbered, uh, and Aberdeen were a good good club, um, and it was an opportunity to get, you know, to have a fresh start, and it was going back home again uh, to my home club, and um, at the time it was it was the right move. Uh, it was the only move that I had, I had available. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I ventured there and uh, and did okay there as well. I've got in my notes that your, your father played for Aberdeen as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so it must have been a, yeah. a, a proud moment for the, the family to see um, the son playing in an Aberdeen team also. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, uh, my dad was very pleased and, uh, and you know, delighted uh, that I was playing. Uh, and he came to, he came to all the games at Pitodre. Uh He didn't manage to, to go to away games because he, he wasn't driving at that time. And, um, but no, he was, he was chuffed. Uh that you got to to see me in a regularly, as opposed to when he used to come down to Dundee and watch me at Dens, because it would, it was maybe only once a month or you know that kind of thing he would do that. So it was good. So obviously you had a bit of success, Aberdeen. You were a League Cup winner, um, two League Cup uh, medals in the back pocket. But it was the the move after Aberdeen that. I've always been interested in. So you went across and it was the Seattle Seattle Sounders that you signed for? I went to Seattle Sounders, yeah. It was um it was a uh, Jimmy Gabriel, an ex Dundee player, was the manager at Seattle Sounders at the time. Uh he had a friend uh out there in Seattle. Uh, by the name of Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy was a brought a ferryman. And Jimmy's dad lived in brought a ferry, uh, not far from, uh, from where I lived. And I got a, a phone call one day 
to ask me would I go along to uh, to see him, and uh, and I went along to see Jimmy's dad, and it, it was uh, he he had said to me, he said, "I've recommended you to go to uh, Seattle. Uh, would you be interested?" And I said, "Yeah, definitely." And uh, so come the end of the season, away we went, and uh, and I played there two for two of their seasons, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was great. Um, it didn't do my body any good uh, because we played on AstroTurf and it was the old-fashioned AstroTurf we played on. It was like concrete. But I enjoyed it at the time. But afterwards, I think that was, um, I think that was part of the reason that when I come back to Dundee again after Aberdeen, uh, I, I just couldn't play. I had to get a back operation, and uh, and I think that a lot of that had to do with playing on the AstroTurf. But apart from that, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, there's this uh, a picture of yourself on the ball with Pelly near you. So what was it like having Pelly in your back pocket when you played for Seattle? <laughs> Well, that was a, a, a nutmeg them at that time. He was trying to get the ball back. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people can say that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, was, uh, it was great. I mean, uh, not only him, but the, the, the amount of top-class international players that, that were playing in America at that time, uh, to play against them, uh, you know, be on the same pitch with them. Uh, which you couldn't have done unless it was an international game you were playing uh, was was brilliant. Um, and you know, although he was towards well near enough at the end of his career, uh, he still showed a lot of great touches and a lot of great things that. You know that they had shown obviously throughout his career. So you mentioned as well, also you came back to Dundee. Um, uh, Tommy Gemmell was the manager at the time. Um, yeah. And also, you, you you've touched on that. You've had a back operation. They're playing on the Astro, and they done your body any wonder. So, but you were kind of not making many appearances. But I take it were you taking up coaching? In the background, at, the, at this point, we've done the yeah. End. To be honest, Daniel, I wasn't. I I, uh, I I I had no uh, interest in coaching. Uh, to be honest, uh, as as I, you know, when I was playing, um, but it was it was only after coming back to Dundee, uh, and then I couldn't. Achieve the levels of uh, of and standard of play whenever I did play in the first team that I was used to uh, doing, and uh, and then as I said, my back operator had to go. Eventually, I had to get a back operation, uh, which I did, which allowed me then to get back playing again. But by that time, it was probably too late to get back playing at the levels I needed to play at. Uh, so it was at that 
particular time when I was recuperating from the operation. Uh, obviously, everyone's going through my head. What, what am I going to do? I don't have a, a job to go to. I don't have a, a skill uh, to work at, that kind of thing. So uh, I decided uh, I would try and do a bit of coaching. So I started you know, helping with the, the reserves. And then uh, Wally Wallace, who was assistant to Tommy Gemmel, uh, decided that he was going to... Um, go to Australia and so when I heard that I then approached uh, Tam and asked Tam if I could take the reserves and you know start to learn to become a coach and uh, and fortunately he agreed to that he stepped Shug Robertson up to be the first team coach and I then took over the reserves and started working with them and then started, you know, concentrating on uh, the coaching side of the game as opposed to the playing side of the game. Uh, although I kept playing, I was playing and I would play in the reserve team and try and coach them from on the pitch as well as, you know, coaching them from the, the side when we were doing, when we were working during the week. Um so that's how I, I ended up getting into that. And then one thing led to another and so forth. And I ended up uh, going into management, which I had no intention of doing. <laughs> uh, but then I did that for quite a while. And uh, I, in the end, of, I've had no regrets about it. I, I enjoyed my... Uh, my tenure as a, a as a coach, I enjoyed my tenure as a as a manager. Um, some of it was great, thoroughly enjoyable. Other times was doom and gloom. So, you, obviously, at the end of your career, it was the um, I think it was the nineteen eighty eighty one season. You only made two appearances. Your last appearance came against Hibs, September the ninth, nineteen eighty. And a one 0 defeat at Dens, and that was obviously you're, you're moving into the coaching. But that was your career over and done with playing wise. But when you look back at your playing career, if I could put you on the spot, who who was the best player you ever played with, and who was the best manager that who ever managed you? The best player I played with uh, was, in my opinion, and and only purely for uh, what he did for me and what I achieved through him uh, was Gordon Wallace. Uh, when Gordon came to Dundee, uh, him and I were already friends uh, through our uh, respective wives, uh, knowing each other and, and becoming friendly uh, when they were at school. Um, so when Gordon arrived at Dundee uh, from Wraith Rovers, him and I clicked right away uh, on the pitch. And, uh, you know, the things we did on the pitch together, um, 
had uh, you know helped the the team and uh, and obviously helped us as as players. Um, and it, so, for that point of view, I, I, I've always put Gordon as number one. Uh, even though I played with you know with greats like Alan Golzine, Andy Penman, Shug Robertson, Alan Cousin, uh, Alec Hamilton, uh, Bobby Cox, you know. I mean, they were the first ones I played with. They were all great players. Uh, but uh, I, I always put Gordon as being, uh, from my point of view, from helping me be a better player. And uh, manager-wise, I think you played under six managers at Dundee. Um, which one was the most enjoyable? Uh well, I, I don't know if I don't know if you could say that any manager was enjoyable. <laughs> um, they all were different. They all had, you know, different characters. They all had uh, good things about them, and they all had uh, faults. Um, the one that was possibly. Uh, Possibly the best of them all. Uh, I mean, I like Shanks. I like Shankly just from the point of view of his honesty. I mean, Shankly told you, you know, what it was. And on no uncertain terms, he, he would tell you. But he would also pat you on the back if you did something good. Um but he was um, what you would call an old-fashioned manager. Uh, you know, he wasn't a coach. He just, uh, you know, he'd pick up your mistakes and tell you what you'd done wrong and sort it out kind of thing. Um, the one that was possibly the best would have been John Prentice, uh, if I could have understood him. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I always thought. Uh, I mean, John Prentice was a lovely man, and but he was an, a right intelligent man, and I, I always felt that he spoke uh, when he, you know, spoke about football and spoke about the team, and I always felt he he was a way above my level, and uh, and I just couldn't understand him. I had to keep asking Gordon, "What's his? What, what does he mean? What does he mean?" So, <laughs> but from the, the knowledge point of view uh, of the football and and the the tactical side of it, he was very very good. So it was now Jockey Scott the coach, um, and then you turned into the first team coach, and then assistant manager when Archie Knox took charge of the D, um, but when Archie Knox suddenly left to join Alex Ferguson at Aberdeen. This was your chance. And I think as soon as Archie left, I believe you were immediately offered the job and you were named as his successor. Uh, successor sorry. Um, 
so how how did that all work around? Was it was it just a case of you'd left and you the the board seen you as the the the, the right man right there and then to make the step up as manager? Yeah, actually, I think um, I think actually had put a word in for me as well uh, that that um, they should uh, appoint me as their their manager uh, when he went away back to Aberdeen. And um, I felt that I was ready for it, having worked with Archie for a couple of years. Uh, also, having worked um, with Donald Mackay uh, for a couple of years. And I, I just felt, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to take the plunge. And um, they were good enough to, um, to offer me the job. And um, I I accepted it, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I, th- I think your your first stint was feel successful. It was two top six places uh, finishes for Dundee. Uh, we also made a Scottish Cup semi final appearance. Um, but there was two players, Keith Wright and Tommy Wright, uh, Keith Wright and Tommy Coyne, um, at the time. The, <laughs> When they were signed, did you expect them to have the impact that they did? Because um, one season, when they signed, it was over a hundred goals scored, which is amazing. You, you've seen players play, you know their capabilities, uh, and you like what you see in them, uh, but you don't know if they're going to, you know, combine well together. Um, but it was a, a situation where uh, Keith Wright, um, we got a, a good price, uh, full of energy, uh, could score goals, um, gave defenders um, a nosebleed every time he played against them because he, he, he wasn't frightened and he would run through a brick wall and you know, there wasn't anything really subtle about Keith. Uh, Tommy Coyne wasn't getting a game at Dundee United. Tommy had been a, a good player at Clyde Bank before going to United. Scored goals for fun. Good football player. Good brain in terms of a footballer. Uh, as I said, wasn't getting a game, so I sounded we Jim out and, uh, and and we Jim agreed to sell him to us. And it was just a lucky situation where uh, both Tommy and Keith, uh, like myself and Gordon Wallace, just clicked from day one. And everything we did in training, if they were in the same team together or anything we worked on in training where they were up front and we were playing through them and uh, movement of strikers and stuff, uh, they just combined really, really good. And uh, fortunately, they took that from a training ground into the matches and they were different class. They were, I mean, it, it, 
the team, that team, out with Tommy and, and Keith Wright, were more or less the same team that Archie had. Uh, but these two made a big, big difference uh, to, you know, to the team as a whole. And uh, we became a, a, a much stronger uh, team and, than what we were and uh, a more dangerous team uh, because these two could score goals for fun and also cause defenders problems by their movement and, and that kind of thing. So it was two good, um, good signings and in the end, Dundee profited very well from them. Yeah, because Tommy Coyne was sold to Celtic. Um, I've not got the price here, but um, I would take a gander and say maybe was it maybe around half a million. Well, Tom, they they they, they ended up getting uh, a million for Tom from Celtic, and uh, Dundee got a million from Hibs for Keith. So they they ended up for. The outlay of uh, something in the region of 125 grand, then Dundee made at least uh, one and a half, nearly two million pound. That's an amazing profit. Something that you you don't see many Dundee players uh, selling on for nowadays. No, a profit like that. <laughs> that's um, true. But yeah, the the, the team was it was. You had your, your John Browns, your Graham Harveys, and you had the uh, up-and-comers like Tosh McKinley as well in the team. You had Stuart Rafferty. It was a, a really good team. Also, you know, that was when my dad was uh, starting to go to games and ones that he speaks about quite often. Um, but it was at that time as well, even though Dundee had a really good team, it was a really strong Scottish a Scottish Premiership, um, it, not like today, where it's basically something just a one horse race. There was always yeah. maybe about four or five teams that could easily have went on and won the championship that season. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just the way that the, the, the game has gone now. That's that's all. I don't think the. The standard of player is is the same now as it was then. But the end of your first stint at Dundee, you then moved on to Aberdeen, and it's a situation that you don't hear often in football. But you went as a co-manager with Alex Smith. Um, what what was appealing to leave um, your post at Dundee to basically well share? duties with a with another manager or was it just the allure of Aberdeen who had um it was probably one of the, the best periods of their uh history was around that time well this the situation arose where uh I had one year of a contract to go at Dundee uh the directors who had uh, employed me in the first place, uh, although they were still on the board, um, they had been taken over, the club had been taken over by Angus Cook. Uh, 
and he had bought you know enough shares to to be the the over the overall uh, in charge of the club and I had uh, near the end of the the second season uh, we had been going quite well and I had uh, been at Angus and said that I was willing to negotiate a new contract and unfortunately all I got or all I heard I didn't hear it personally but um, my wife got told by uh, Angus uh, oh, and, uh, about his mate uh, who was manager down south um, who had just been released by Plymouth and that uh, you know um, may be good to get him back to Dun or up back up to Dundee where he belonged uh, so obviously I hear these things I don't get offered another contract um, and I knew or I'd heard rumours that uh, Ian Porterfield was on the way out and so I threw a third party I died, threw my hat my name into the hat and uh, ended up getting the job but it was a situation where uh, Alex Smith, who was a good, still is a good friend of mine, uh, Alec was already there because uh, he had lost his job at St. Murn and uh, Ian Porterfield had given him a job uh, or offered him a job at Petodre to work with the reserves, which Alec did. And then Ian lost his job, and uh, and Alec became a caretaker. Uh, and because Alec was already there, and Aberdeen approached Dundee to ask for my services, uh, rather than put me as manager and, and step Alec down, they made us uh, co-managers, which was... Which was great. I mean, it was uh, Alec. We decided between us. Uh, Alec would do a certain part, and I would do another part of the management, and uh, and it worked great. And I mean, it was a great time uh, because of the standard of player that we were working with. Um, Aberdeen had a good team at that time. Uh, we brought in a few Dutch boys who were very good players. And uh, the only thing that was missing was uh, the Premier League. Unfortunately, we lost that on the, the final day of the season. I mean, there's probably nothing worse than a whole, going a whole season, going for the league and losing it. On the very last day, uh, 
as a it's it's some consolation though that you did manage the victory in the Scottish Cup and League Cup, but would you have preferred maybe the league over over them cups? Uh, yeah, yeah. The league is the the big one. Mm-hmm. I mean that is the big one because it's 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 played over the whole season, uh, and the one that wins the league obviously is the most consistent team uh, throughout the season, and uh, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to have uh, you know finished that season winning the the, the Premier League and. Uh, you know, I'd, I would have took that above any of the cups that we won. So we're going to, from the the day that you left Dundee as manager to take over at Aberdeen. We fast forward ten years in time, and you were back in the hot seat at Dundee again, and you were taken over from John McCormack. But it was a weird situation where John McCormack had Dundee at the top of the league. And he was sacked. So when you got approached by Dundee, was it just was it just a whole weird situation, a run up to seeing a, ma- a manager manager getting sacked at the top of the league and taking over from them? Was it a weird situation going into this? Um, it was a, a you know obviously a strange uh, situation. Uh, I mean I. Obviously, had been told um, from the, the directors uh, the reasons that they had released John McCormack and the reasons that they, they wanted me to, to take over. And uh, I heard all that. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, it was a weird situation. It was not a nice situation for John McCormack. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the, all these things happen uh, in football. And it was deja vu because it ended up happening to me in my, in my third <laughs> session. But... It's one of the, these things that uh, you don't think about at the time. It's a case of um, an offer of a job. Uh, at that time, I, uh, although I was in a job at that time, it was more a, like a coaching job rather than a manager's job. Uh, so I, I, I accepted it. Um, because it was back at Dundee again. And I also believe that the the coaching job was just across the road at the time. That's correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we've um, I've done a couple of interviews and spoke to players like uh, Dave Rogers and also Gavin Ray and had conversations not like through um, like podcasts but face to face with other players and a lot of them all have that season down as one of the best ones that they've had uh, playing with Dundee. And even though I think a lot of them mostly were signed or came up through the ranks through John McCormack, they all do speak highly of, of you coming into the team and uh, and then guiding them. Uh, I take it you, when, you, when you first came in, 
there, there wasn't a lot to change because obviously it was a winning team at the top. So was it just basically giving them a little bit more of your experience across just to guide them over the the, the finishing line? Well, I, I mean, it was uh, it was just a case of uh, getting them over the finishing line. Uh, I mean, that sounds easy, uh, but it, these things are never easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there, there was a lot. There, there was some changes, uh, maybe not on the on the field of play, but there was some changes in various things the way we the way we went about things to what had been done previously. Now whether that had an effect on them or not, I don't. I mean, from my point of view, I don't know. Uh, the players I mean I've always been one who uh, as a player I uh, I knew as a player what I liked from that manager or that coach uh, and I knew what I didn't like from that manager or that coach Uh, so I've always felt that it's, uh, the players are the ones um, that they're the ones that will give you the best insight as to whether a manager did a good job or, or didn't do a good job. Uh, at the end of the day, all I know is that, that we we went on and you know won the league and that was my remit, and uh, and I achieved it. Um, whether I did well or didn't do well, that, that irrelevant. We got there. Um, we did so uh, with plenty of games left to play. Uh, I think when you speak to a lot of any Dundee fan, they would, they would, they would tell you that you, you did do really well um, because it was... Uh, it was start with a good time to follow Dundee. I've obviously for many seasons been through the mire and there's always, uh, it's still the case um, up until recently, there was always uh, money problems off, off, the, off the field and um, constant changes with players coming and going. But that season uh, just felt new, especially for myself. I was still a young laddie at the time, but it just felt good. I was like, we've got a team here, we've got like a, the management team as well. We've got something. We've, we've got good foundation uh, to, to build on, and and I was I just honestly think to myself that it was like I said one of the best. I followed Dundee home and away that season. Some great times, and uh, one of them that sticks in my mind is the uh, game at Stirling. I like to say still, I say sticks in my mind. I think it was still in Albion, and we had a free kick. Uh, the news came through that Rafe had conceded. And I believe they were a way to start drawing. And then Dundee whipped in the free kick and uh, Stevie McCormack scored. So that set up a, a, basically a D-Day against Rafe Kirkcaldy to win the league. Um, one of the best days ever fallen Dundee. I think Dundee fans just went mental because success had been few and far between. And this game was just basically just let just let all the feelings out. Um, but how did you set up the team for that 
for that game because we just needed a point to win. But they knew there was a big travel and support also where we're basically filling out the stands at Starks Park. It must have been hard to keep the players' concentration um, from kind of venturing away and thinking maybe the job was already done. Uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, you say that we had a we needed a point to get up, uh, but that never that was never mentioned uh, in the build up to the game. It was never mentioned uh, on the day of the game. It was a case of we were there to win the game, as we were, you know, all the other games, uh, and that's what we went out to achieve. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, we didn't win the game, but fortunately, we did enough that that we did get promoted, and uh, it was great, uh, great situation, and great to see, you know, the Dundee fans, as you say, uh, get a bit of um, a bit of enjoyment for a change, and be able to, you know. Uh, sort of boast to other people about their team uh, because they hadn't done that for a long, long time. Yeah, so obviously that was Dundee promoted and we were in the the new look premiership, I think. And there was also a lot of changes. Uh, players brought in had, uh, Tommy Coyne, I think the... You had a good look at the Motherwell team that's the season before and they signed um, Willie Faulkner, Tommy Coyne and uh, Eric Garson, who never stayed long. Um, obviously, the one of the big talking points from that season was potentially being flung out the league because of the stands at Dens Park. Um, what was the whole feeling in Dundee at that point after working so hard and then maybe there was the potential that they'd be expelled from the top flight purely because the stadium never met the criteria from the coaching side the management side we never really got involved in that I mean our concern was that that, uh, game to game uh, our concern was not because uh, we couldn't do anything about any criteria or that kind of thing. So uh, we just got on with our job and, uh, you know, basically got prepared for the, 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 the game coming up. Another surreal moment must have been when we actually held the home game, but was held at Tanadice, um against Rangers. That... I mean, situations like that, um, it must be hard for maybe players to to n- not remain focused, but not to just to be like, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> um, there was also the talk about the, the stands, but then you're playing a game away. And I think it was purely because it was against Rangers and uh, maybe the loss of income of only having two stands opened at Dens. Well, it's a... It is a strange situation, uh, but as I say, that the, these kind of things are are not uh, the management's fault. It's not the players' fault, um, and as such, we have just got to get on with it. 
got on with our jobs and uh, and be prepared and, and go out and play and do our best. Uh, and that's basically what we did. We, we just had to rely on other people, uh, i.e. the people in charge of the club, to get any problems sorted out. And the club, despite the kind of, as, as maybe some uh, papers would have said, would be turmoil with what's happening uh, off the off the pitch. Uh, you, you, you guided the team to the best ever finish it's had since 1962. And that must have been a particularly proud moment for yourself as a manager to have, um, obviously, a lot of fans do look at that season and think that things were happening to the to fling Dundee out the out the out the league, there was a the, the daily record were quite halved on Dundee with stuff like this. They were, I think, at one point they were wanting Dundee out of the league with some of the headlines uh, that even uh, a, a chant was made in the self enclosure um, about the daily record and a part of the body, which I'm not going to say in the podcast. But to then have the team um, reach fifth in the league. That must have been a, a fantastic achievement for yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, for myself and and for the players, uh, we we felt uh, at that time we felt uh, myself and Jimmy Bowen, who was my assistant, we felt that we had uh, we had the makings of a right good team. Uh, we had a mixture of experience and youth, um, and we felt, uh, you know, leading up to the wards, the end of that season, uh, that we needed uh, to bring in three or four fresh faces uh, to make us stronger for the following season, uh, and that, you know, we would use that season as a sort of springboard for better things to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our outlook on it. Uh, but unfortunately, the powers to be had other outlooks. Yeah, because the, we lost, I think, Darius Adamchuk, Ian Anderson, and... Uh, Brian Irvin after that season and looking back at papers and uh, articles it would seem like Dundee were not spending a lot of money the following season there wasn't I believe there wasn't a a, a large budget given to yourself and it was maybe you were left to maybe picking up some free transfers here and there but not many Uh, was the I take it the hands were kind of tied behind the back with uh, budget-wise for yourself for improving the squad well, maybe being potentially replaced in your contract but not renewed. No, the, the, I mean, the situation uh, when they brought Benetti in was, um, was a situation where we were coming to the end of our uh, contract and I had, <clears throat> I had been repeatedly asking Peter uh, for a new contract. But he was never forthcoming. Now, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. That kind of thing. 
Um, unknown to me, uh, all these things were going on like Benetti behind my back. Um, but the, the crux, the crux of it was uh, in the end that um, Peter asked me if if uh, if I thought we could bring uh, foreign players into the club on free transfers, etc., etc., and uh, play them in the first team and sell them, and we would get make money that way. And uh, my answer to Peter was, uh, in theory, that sounds great. In practical terms, no chance. Not in Scotland. And unknown to me, that was, I had just put my head in the chopping block, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> because... Uh, a couple of weeks later, I was out, and that's well. At that time, that was when the foreign players started turning up at the door, uh, and I didn't know they were coming until they were at the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you get feelings something's going to happen here, and it did. Uh, me and Jimmy were released, and. Uh, a new management team were brought in along with new players who I must admit, and I did at the time, uh, I couldn't have brought these players in. Uh, They certainly wouldn't have signed for me. Uh, But my argument at the end of the day was... uh, that they spent a lot of money bringing these players in uh, and it didn't make them any better. No, I mean, they they couldn't um, finish any higher than what you did a couple of seasons beforehand and regularly put up the cup quite early and uh, there was also the the venture into the Intertotal Cup that only lasted around as well. Um, some of the football on display was fantastic sometimes, but yeah, the end product, there were, myself, I've, I've said it for years, there was it was no different to what we had, um, no better than what we had under yourselves. And as much as, like you say, it, it was maybe good to see your Kinejas and Nimzadzi coming in, at the end of the day, it never added anything else to the club um, except some good memories on the pitch that never went any further than a couple of good performances in league games and whatnot. There was there was basically nothing to show um, for it. But um, you see, it, it must have been sad to for, for it to end the way it did, especially with your um, history with Dundee. Um, but like you say, your, your answer to the um, the question about could you bring in a foreign players and sell them on, uh, must have, they must have been hoping you were going to say say yes to that and uh, maybe offer you a, a new contract. Um, but that was that was it for your second spell at Dens. But when Dundee 
ran into trouble when Alex Ray uh, was sacked in 2008. Uh, it felt like the uh, Dundee put up a big set of a bat signal, a big jockey Scott signal for yourself to come in um, <laughs> uh, for your first stint as manager um, after what happened uh, previously. Was it hard to come back to Dundee as as a manager again or was it an easy decision because it's a club that you've you've played and and obviously managed before no it was an easy decision I mean it was uh, it was a club I knew obviously uh, a club who uh, had affection for and the club that I wanted uh, to see doing well again and wanted to get back uh, to the Premier League and, uh, and you know, get involved again. Um, so, no, there, wasn't, there was no hesitation when I got offered the job, uh, no hesitation about taking it. So then, obviously, Dundee um, had... Uh, a certain individual, Callum Melville, who came on board, who uh, was promising big things to Dundee fans, money-wise, and um, we ended up, uh, well, I think we'll always thank you for signing Gary Hartkins for Dundee, <laughs> and, uh, and also we were able to buy a young Lee Griffiths, who was the up-and-coming uh, starlet in Scottish football at the time. Um, and we went on to win the Challenge Cup that season, but just like John McCormack, who we spoke about before, we were top of the league and the board of directors decided to go in a different direction. And it's a move that's always, I've never been able to get my head around it. But would you be able to shine any more light on that whole situation? Well, it, it wasn't, uh, first of all, it wasn't uh, the board of directors. It was Callum Melville himself. Right. It was his decision and his decision alone uh, to sack me after the um, Airdrie game. We got beat from Airdrie, through at Airdrie, uh, but we were still three points clear with the last section of the, the season to go, nine games to play. Um, as soon as I got off the bus, he was there waiting for me and, and sacked me. Uh, it was uh, very disappointing um, to say the least uh, it was a situation which uh, I'm not going to go into uh, the reasons for uh but um, I think if anybody had uh, since then had sort of read the papers or read into what happened to Dundee Football Club after that, i.e. going into administration, uh, I don't think you'd need me to tell you what, uh, what exactly happened. And whose fault it was? Yeah, um, probably the, what you just said there about uh, the way the the sacking happened probably just sums up the 
the way he was probably running things at the time. Um, I honestly never knew that and I'm quite shocked by it, to be honest. Um, like you say, that, I mean, performances dipped through seasons and some performances weren't great, but like you say, we were still top of the league and, and favourites to, to go up and it certainly did cost us going up that season and the 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 effect, the snowball effect from there um, remained at Dundee for years, years after that. Um, but that was, um, that, that act ended 46 years association with the club. Nearly half a century jockey. <laughs> I'm not trying yeah. to make you feel old there, but um, nearly nearly half a century at the club. Um, and also, when, it, when I said that uh, in 2009, when you won the Challenge Cup, um, I don't know if you know, but you were the first manager to win the League Cup, Scottish Cup and the Challenge Cup. And I think still the only manager to do so in Scottish football. There's always something in there. There's always something that's good. There's always a stat that you can find there. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, yeah, so that... Um, that arc there uh, from Melville ended, obviously, your association with Dundee. And you did, um, I think you went on to manage uh, Still and Albion and a few clubs after that. But um, I'm not too sure when you retired, but um, when did you did you know that your time in football, that was you, you've done what you've done. Um, that was time to hang up the, well, not the boots, but the, the, the manager's pad and call it a day. Well, I, I, I took over a job at Stirling Albion uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, I should never have done it. Um, Part-time was not my scene. Uh, I tried it uh, a, lot, a lot of years ago with her growth uh, when I was out of uh, out of a job and... Uh, and I, I knew then uh, that I couldn't handle part time uh, <clears throat> simply because of the uh, at part time level. It's not a job for the players. It's not their livelihood. It's more a hobby, uh, and you know a way of continuing to play football at a professional level um, than it is if you're. When you're full time, full time, it's your job, your livelihood. Uh, you know your your future depends on what you do uh, as a player on the pitch. Um, so after my experience at Stirling, uh, just with some of the things that went on, uh, I decided that. Uh, enough's enough and uh, if anybody wanted me they could come knocking at the door uh, but obviously that never happened so I just quietly disappeared into the horizon as they say My dad um, always says to me the, obviously the, the, your book um, Jockey's uh, Journey and he always said to me that there's about six pages blank at the back 
and I don't know if that's just a publisher's thing that, that they do, but he went, there's six, page, six pages at the back, there's still more to history at Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> he always says that I to will. me. <laughs> there's some things that, that you could say publicly and other things that you you, you can't really say. Mm-hmm. you just got to keep quiet about them. <laughs> those six pages may remain blank for the foreseeable <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was um, as also as manager I've asked you as, as a player but as manager um, who would you have as your best ever signing for Dundee best ever signing well, yeah. that, that would have to be uh, Keith Wright and Tommy Coyne hands down oh yeah yeah Without a doubt, I mean, for for what they um, for what they brought to the team, uh, for what they brought onto the pitch, uh, yeah, definitely they they too. I've got one more question for you, and uh-huh. this is um, what player from the Dundee youth team or reserve team that's came through and broke into the first team made you the proudest. The best one I had would probably have been uh, Gavin Ray, and uh, I mean it, John John McCormack played him mm-hmm. before I arrived, uh, but he was uh, in and out uh, at the time. But you know, I saw great potential in him. And uh, and I, I played him regular, uh, and I, he he was he was a good one. Yeah, Gavin Ray's always spoke highly of you. Um, we we done a, an interview with him, and he, he says that he he felt he was on his way out of Dundee um, until you took over and never looked back, and uh, never had one bad word to say about yourself, Jockey. Um, definitely, must be uh, the only one then. <laughs> <laughs> he might have just been polite, <laughs> but he does credit you. Um, he, he, I take it he will credit you for saving his Dundee career and um, getting him going on a success, successful career that he, he that panned out for him. Um, but Jockey, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate that. Um, it's uh, your hell one hell of a guest to have on for the first ever um, special podcast here, and uh, I can't thank you enough for taking your time out. And uh, I've got to give a, a mention to John Brown and your uh, your grandson Jordan for setting this up. Um, they uh, went through them having used to to get this going, so I like to thank them for doing it. But I'd also like to thank you for uh, again taking your time out to come and speak to us and. Um, Sure, all Dundee fans will be looking forward to to hearing your uh, views and uh, stories as well. No problem at all. But that's that for this podcast. Um, we'll be back um, with hopefully more ex-players and uh, hopefully manager interviews. But I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, from myself and from Jockey Scott, thank you very much. Mm-hmm.